Wilson, like a cork in the ocean over his head. Marking contest over the top, Subic's great grab. Across the ground, bam, in comes Donny Wurzlow. Got it out to a oh. kick, kick smothered, check, Hunter. Who would have thought the sequel would be just as good as the original? Kicks inside 50, McGovern, McGovern, what a player. Shank needs to be in perfect the the premiers of 1992. The 1994 premiers. The 2018 AFL Premiership team. The West Coast Eagles. And they do so with another victory under their belt. So this week on the show, we will take a look at the Eagles' round six win over Adelaide. We're going to talk the ever-shifting AFL landscape with some big news developing today. We're answering your questions all throughout the show. And of course, to cap things off, how could we forget, we will be previewing this Sunday's Western Derby. I'm your host, Honey Badger 35 and joining me this week on the show is Miguel Sanchez. How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm good. My head's spinning a bit after all of the uh, the developments that this season's really sort of become a fast, fast-moving fast beast and it's uh, it's tough to stay across it, but we'll do our best. I actually liked that little stutter in there where you were going to say fast-moving, but it sounded like just for a moment you were saying fast because I'm with fast, you there on yeah. that part. We will, of course, get into that later on in the show. For now, no time for plugs, no time for any more preamble. The Eagles got a win, Miguel, so let's get stuck into our round six review. West Coast Eagles, 10 goals, 7, 67, defeated the Adelaide Crows, 5, 4, 34. Now, some three-word reviews off the top sent to us on Twitter, of course. We've had got it done, poke the bear, Eagles phone home, of course, in relation to the Nick Nat and Riley O'Brien saga. And one from you here, Miguel. Bye-bye, Hub. It uh, it wasn't spectacular, but ultimately the Eagles did what they needed to do against a pretty poor Adelaide side. As you've said there, bye-bye, Hub. We leave it at 3-3. Three and three. So what did we make of the Round 6 clash? Yeah, I think you hinted at it there, but it wasn't as impressive in my book as the as the Swans win was. Just sort of felt like we you know, got the job done against you know, bottom-of-the-ladder opponent without really looking at any stage like we clicked back into the sort of form that wins a premiership. Um, we controlled play, I thought, for most of the game, but really there was that little period at the start of the third term when we, we kicked three quick goals that we turned it on. Uh, and other than that, it was a little bit sort of going through the motions and um, there wasn't as much to like, I thought, um, as there had been the week before. You touched on the, the Nat Nui and O'Brien battle, which was really good theatre, probably ended up going uh, the way that it was expected. You know, Nick Nat won the hitouts pretty comfortably, but O'Brien got a fair bit of the ball around the ground and um, dropped back and filled space in uh, in the back line pretty well for them. Nat Nui gave our mids sort of first use of the ball, and so our clearance numbers were quite good, but otherwise we, we didn't... We won the contested possessions, but that was almost solely due to the fact that we'd, uh, we'd won the clearances. Adelaide otherwise sort of matched us around the ground. The midfield did function pretty well, I thought, in the absence of Shuey with Kelly playing probably his best game for us and he was unanimous best on ground, uh, as one of us predicted, I think, last week on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, Sheen, you know, were decent. Redden, I thought, played probably his best game for the year. And Ainsworth as well, who came in. Was Sorry, was it Ainsworth or Brayshaw? There's a bit of debate <laughs> on the board about <laughs> No, that'll be of which course Which actually be, played on the weekend. That'll be Braden Ainsworth, known 
good user of the footy, thanks, Dwayne Russell. Yeah, well, his, uh, his ball use actually surprised me. It was pretty neat and tidy. No real clangers. So, yeah, he did his job, I thought. Forward line still a bit dysfunctional, but the back line is really um, our shining light at the moment. Yeah, look, we'll start on the back line because for me, you talked about perhaps a lack of as many positives coming out of the Adelaide game as the Swans game the week before. But the back line for me was a real tick in that they did build very much on that Sydney win the week prior. You look at how we've been setting up in the last few weeks. I don't know if it's personnel. I don't know if it's the fact that we've been playing Sydney and Adelaide. And let's face it, they're not two of the greatest teams. They're, in fact, the 17th and 18th team on the ladder at the moment. But what the Eagles have been doing in defence this last fortnight has been a marked change and a marked improvement over the last or over the first couple of weeks of the hub. They're pushing very deep up the field. In the last fortnight, we've seen way more disposals and intercepts from McGovern and Barras, even from Hearn up on the wing and even beyond. Liam Duggan's played probably his best fortnight in a couple of years, certainly, I think, since 2018. He's been one of our better players the last few weeks. Jackson Nelson, I thought, had his best game for the club on the weekend as well. Uh, Even guys like Tom Cole didn't find the footy so much, but held his man pretty quiet. Some important link-up play. And it's really just that setup, Miguel, where we're seeing them almost impose themselves on the game a little bit more. When you've got a guy like McGovern, for example, Shepard, for example, these are guys that teams worry about because they don't want to set the ball up because McGovern's going to get it. Well, when we're sitting back in our 50 waiting for them to kick the ball to McGovern, it's just not going to happen like that. Teams are too smart, players are too good. But the last few weeks, at least from my perspective, it's really seemed like the defense has imposed themselves on the opposition and made it really hard for teams to get out and get it further up the field. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I thought Gov, it was a bit quiet against uh, Sydney. He was really good against Adelaide. And yeah, whether that was more sort of Adelaide's entry inside 50 being a bit more haphazard and he could cut it off rather than Sydney, I thought, had a a really um, strong game plan, which was to short pass it a bit more and shallow entries a bit and try and avoid him. Whereas Adelaide, whether they tried to avoid him and couldn't or not, whether he was putting himself in the right places, um, yeah, he was chopping everything off. So they didn't go inside 50 much, but they didn't score a lot at all when they went in there, and that was yeah, mostly his doing, and, and Barras played really well, and, and Shepard's been probably our best player um, all season, I think. Um, he should be leading out BNF, and in a fairer world, he'd, uh, he'd probably be in the – well, he should be in the various um, – you know, the rolling all-Australian teams that you see floating around but he's not because you know, he's basically invisible to Victorian media, not to go down that hole again. Um, but, yeah, the defence, I, I don't know whether um, Jetta going out has any, anything to do with it. He's really important for us coming out of defence, but one-on-one he can be um, a little bit suspect. So the fact that we've got Duggan, Nelson and Cole, who are all sort of more stopping players, that's helped, I think, that we aren't getting the small forwards getting away from us at all. I think the other pleasing thing as well, it's it's not as much about four guys like McGovern, and it has never been about stopping the other team scoring with elite one-on-one defence. It's all about, you know, coming off your man, assisting, getting that third man up, that intercept mark. That's where we win it. We win it by preventing you use. We don't win it by, you know, a great tackle or a great spoil or any of the traditional defensive metrics. But for me, things on the weekend like Duggan has three inside 50s. You know, Nelson, two inside 50s. Gov got one, but it was his first for the year. Barras had two. You can see that as a unit, we're pressing higher and and getting further up the ground and getting these guys into a more dangerous position. And 
I think, yeah, the best way I can describe it is we're imposing ourselves rather than waiting for the game to come to our All-Australians because that, that seems like a foolish waste to me of, of hoping the opposition just kick it down a known star like Tom Brass or like Jeremy McGovern just kicks it down their throat and just hope for the best. It's nice to see that our backs are really pushing up the ground and, and, and taking it on and, and starting to impose their will. Look, you touched on the midfield earlier as well. We don't need to go through it in too much depth, but I think we can agree that Tim Kelly did have his best game. He got a perfect 10 in the coaches' votes, is my understanding. 24 touches, 8 clearances, 4 tackles, 3 inside 50s as well, and we know how dangerous he can be around that inside 50 when he pushes up on the ball. Miguel, it's really nice to see Kelly working in over the last couple of weeks. I think he's built into some form. Do we make of that that it's, you know, shooey out so there's fewer mouths to feed or is it just that Kelly's starting to work his way into the group? Uh, a little from column A and a little from column B. I think shooey, when he does come back, I think should be coming off the flank a little bit more. You know, with his, He's the oldest of that group, I think, I'm pretty sure. And, um, yeah, he's out with a hamstring now. He's got rib issues. I think we should be protecting him a bit more and you know, having him sort of pinch hitting in there rather than, you know, the, the guy that's there for every centre bounce. So that would... Um, play a bit into you know, into Kelly's hands and, and allow him a bit more of a role in there. Um, but, yeah, he's certainly, as time goes on, he'll get uh, more of a symbiotic relationship with Nat Nui and he and the other mids won't get in each other's way as much. So, yeah, he's he's building quite nicely now. Did give us a bit of a worry. Was it the third or the fourth quarter when he went off and he was getting his knee tested? I had my heart in my mouth then, but, yeah, look, he seems to be all right and, uh, yeah, be preparing for his first derby now. And on to the forwards, you mentioned that there was, you know, a couple of issues in there as well. It wasn't a an overly efficient performance as well. Some poor goal kicking, uh, which really sort of marked it down for me. But also the entry, a couple of real long bombs and entry into the forward line that wasn't typical of what we see out of our, our best case Eagles teams of the last few years. But Miguel, for myself, I actually thought there were a few positives in there. I think Cripps worked into the game better than he has any other game, probably barring that Swans clash. But a good fortnight from him or a decent fortnight. The critical thing for him, 10 touches and a goal, sure, but four inside 50s as well, so some nice link-up play, especially early on in the game. Kennedy, one goal, three, but you know that's just poor kicking. Physically, he looked good. He took a couple of really nice marks, some great one-on-one play. Probably should have had a free kick in the goal square before Nat Nui kicked our opener. So a few little things here or there. That one three could very easily have been a very different day. And I think that was probably the case for him the week before as well, where some poor kicking let him down in an otherwise good day. So Allen, one goal, three. Uh, we saw you know Ryan not really get too heavily involved, but make the best of some chances where he sort of created out of nothing. Jack Darling, a sort of quiet game, but finished with two goals, one. There's some signs there from the forward line. It's not ready yet. It hasn't quite clicked, but I think perhaps that forward line is also starting to trend upwards. Yeah, and you, you hit on most of them there. Um, Kennedy is moving quite well, and you know, at times this season he's looked really, uh, he's really shown his age, but he's he's looking quite fresh now, and you know he's running and jumping at the ball. Just the, the finishing at the moment leaves a bit to be desired on occasion. Darling looks, he does look like a bloke that's um, a little bit lacking in confidence. He's sort of trying to do a bit too much at times, but yeah, he did some nice things as well. The one thing that really is really pleasing about the forward line, or two things really, we kicked 10 goals from nine different um, goal scorers, so we're sharing it around quite nicely. And probably is just one thing because these are probably linked, but the other my other point was that they... Um, 
they're working a lot for each other, like, you know, Ryan tapping the ball back in to keep it alive for Darling to kick a goal um, was the, the perfect example. But there was a lot of just those sort of knock-ons, uh, Darling's 45-metre hand pass. They're working for each other. They don't seem to be too worried about who kicks the goal. Uh, and that's, you know, we're not going to have anyone win the Coleman this year, but if we can you know, keep kicking... Um, winning scores in games from you know, eight or nine players, then um, it's going to help the team. So that's the attitude they need to have, and it looks like they are all working together at the moment. So last week against the Swans, we saw both clubs sort of trade punches a little bit, and then the Eagles really broke it open in the third quarter. They went on a 38 to nothing unanswered scoring run uh, in round five. Now round six, similarly, bit of a back and forth game, a bit of an arm wrestle. The Eagles probably on top, but didn't make a lot of it. And then in that late second, early third, 22 to nothing run, and that's featuring some very, very bad goal kicking. So it could have easily been, you know, another 30 to zero run, something like that. It is a trait that we saw in 2018 where the Eagles would kind of start a little bit slowly, a bit cagey, back and forward, and then break the game open in one stunning passage of play or you know one great 10-minute block of play. To me, it's a good sign that it's coming back. I think I asked you, Miguel, last week, is it a worry that we're only putting forward that little burst? But if they can maintain that effort of, of keeping the game close before they break it open, you know, if you, if you don't give yourself that, that four-goal head start that we saw in the opening couple of weeks, I think this could just be another one of those things that, look, it was a feature of our 2018 team. Maybe this is just what we have to expect. Can we read a lot into that, or is it yet another case of, look at who we've played these last two weeks, let's not get ahead of ourselves? Yeah, it's a bit of that, I think. But we're not having the periods of the last few weeks that look last two weeks at least we're not having the periods that we've seen in the past where teams just get that big run on against us and, and we're not able to stop it so that's pleasing that um even though we're you know we're not dominating large periods of the game we are hanging in there and not being dominated um but yeah there's there's a bit of a worry with that as you know we've played an understrength sydney and we've played bottom of the ladder adelaide so you know how much um stock can we put in that and i think we'll find out this week because Fremantle, although they're in the bottom four or five of the ladder as well. They're a much better side. Um, they'll be easily the best side that we've um, we've played in the last three weeks. And uh, as, we, as St Kilda found out, you can't even give them, you can't even get a six goal head start and feel uh, confident. So yeah, we'll find out this week, I think, where we really are. On to some news now, and this week we've seen yet another major shake-up across the AFL landscape. It's come through today and little hints of it over the last 48 hours, but all Victorian clubs are now out of Victoria. We already knew that, but most likely they are now all going to set up in Queensland for the foreseeable future, and indeed, Miguel, most likely for the entire season. So with the Victorian COVID situation developing as it is, New South Wales is sort of on its heels, unfortunately, as well. There's been a bit of a change there and a few changes in border policy as well. It would appear that Queensland is the base of operations for the foreseeable future for the AFL. Now, we will, of course, still see some teams coming through Perth. Gill has today confirmed a commitment to playing games in Western Australia for the next seven weeks is the quote. Beyond that, we'll we'll wait to see what happens. Everything's still very much up in the air. We know that the Eagles play Fremantle this week. We know that they'll host Collingwood in round eight the following Sunday. But, Miguel, for the time being, it seems like football is very much a Queensland, a WA, and perhaps a South Australian pursuit. Yeah, it's a strange world to be in when there's no um, no football in Victoria. Uh, Something we've sort of probably clamoured for for a while to get these teams out of Victoria and make them play elsewhere. 
and it's it's a sad way to uh, sad way for it to come about. The Victorian clubs that are going off to Queensland are being asked to make huge sacrifices. Really, I mean, we were a bit uh, miffed at our treatment in the media when our players were asked to to go off um, to Queensland with no end date in sight. But to be honest, the Victorians I think are getting it worse now than we did, um, with you know ten weeks away from their homes and potentially families. Uh, and as well as that, away from their facilities as well. Um, but it does, it gives a big boost for us. It's um, it's looking increasingly likely that we'll get, if we get the next seven games, there's only 11 to go and there's a few more clubs to come through. So we might actually get all 11 games remaining in the season um, all at home. Uh, well, all at Optus anyway, with this next game coming up isn't at home, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a massive bonus. Uh, and the other thing as well is that, you know, unlike, the players that are sitting in the hubs in Queensland, our players will get access to the brand new multi-million dollar world-class facilities that we've put up at Laughline, um, while the Victorian clubs are using sort of hotel and resort facilities. So that's a massive leg up for us, and um, as well as being for a leg up for Brisbane and the Suns. But um, yeah, that's where the season's heading at the moment. My heart absolutely breaks for them. Now, there is 11 rounds of fixtures to go, as you touched on. There has been some hint that they're going to try and condense that into a nine or perhaps a 10-week period. So shortening the gaps between games, you're looking at about four to five days between games there in general. What do you make of that change? And I think this is going to sort of lead into the greater discussion point here, which is, Obviously, we know why these changes are being made. I understand. I'll, I'll be appreciative of why they're changing on the fly, why everything is so up in the air. But are we starting to edge or cross that threshold of maybe we've gone a bit too far here from an integrity point of view, running the league like this sort of on the fly? And again, fully acknowledging why they have to do it, but is it starting to get into the point where this is genuinely now more hassle than it's worth. To be honest, I think we're getting closer and closer to the point where the season's just is going to be just abandoned at some point because we've seen how quickly the situation unravelled in Victoria and now is looking to be going that way in New South Wales. And you know, all it would take is for the virus to, to cross the Tweed River into Queensland and that'd probably be it. They'd run out of places where they can play the, the game um, unless they want to try and maybe set up Footy Island like the MMA has. Um, I don't know how logistically possible that would be. Going back to, I, I suppose, what the question you asked leads into that discussion about whether there will be an asterisk on this uh, on this season if you know, for the eventual Premier. I said weeks ago on the podcast that you know, if someone like Collingwood or Richmond won the flag, having barely left Victoria, that there, there should be an asterisk on it. Now the shoe's on the other foot, and we've really, you know, having done five weeks in the hub, we're really getting an advantage. And if we end up winning the flag, having played, 12 of 17 games in WA, then there'd probably be an asterisk on that, to be fair. And there almost certainly would be an asterisk from the Victorian media and from Victorian posters. Uh, and, you know, ditto for Brisbane, especially if the grand final ends up getting played in uh, played at the Gabba and they played 12 out of their 17 games at the Gabba, then, yeah, there's a, there's a big question on the integrity of that result. Having said that, the players would still have made a lot of sacrifices to get to that point and would have worked bloody hard. Uh, and... If it's us, I'd sure as hell like to see us win the 2020 flag. But, yeah, there's going to be a question about what it means and the history of the game. So a few weeks ago, uh, we discussed when these first raft of Victorian changes came through. That was ahead of the then Richmond game, which obviously became the the Sydney game. When those first raft of changes came through, I said that cancelling the season at that point, I was in favour of. And uh, I think I used the phrase or I sort of used the sentiment that 
it's not just me being sour grapes or upset that the Eagles were doing very, very poorly at the time. Because I said the longer the season goes on, the more it's going to benefit the Eagles, which has come to pass over the last two weeks, certainly, with a couple of wins. And now, as the season looks set to take shape for the rest of the year, the longer the season goes on, you can only see it advantaging the Eagles, who in theory, are going to get to sit home in WA for the rest of the year. So this is not from a partisan position of I'm not happy with the Eagles' 2020 season or you know I think there's going to be an asterisk next to the premiership. I just think we are getting to the point where it, it is all starting to be a bit ridiculous. I know why they're trying to do it, and I understand from a financial sense why they try to keep it alive. I know there's jobs at stake within the industry on the peripheries of the industry with things like your you know, bars and media figures and you know the people who write about the game, the people who work at stadiums. I get that there is a lot at stake. It just seems like to me, Miguel, you touched on it then, we're starting to get to the point where if the flag isn't going to be seen as legitimate, what are we doing this for? I love footy. You know, Obviously, I wouldn't be doing the podcast. I wouldn't be watching it. I wouldn't be on big footy if I didn't love footy. But we're starting to get to the point where it's kind of a bit of a free hit, fun little tournament year. And against the backdrop of a health crisis, against the backdrop of taking people away from their families, against the backdrop of ploughing $3 million a week, according to Eddie today, uh, into the concept of having everybody hub away from Victoria, I just am starting to wonder what the point of it all is. Now, you touched on the grand final there, Miguel. We have a question here from Alan on Twitter who says, if the grand final goes ahead in New South Wales, but also I'll add in here in in Queensland possibly, uh, away from the MCG is the argument, what do you think would be an appropriate response from the WA clubs? Now, the backdrop to this is the argument for the MCG outside of the contract has always been, well, it's history, but also the MCG is the best venue. It holds the most people. It's state-of-the-art, etc., etc. Optus is now the best stadium in the country. If we say the MCG is off-limits, which it appears to be, Optus is now the best stadium in the country. So what do we do as a club, as a fan base, if the AFL turn around and say, look, we are moving the grand final, but we're going to slap it in New South Wales. We're going to give it to the Gabba. We're not giving it to the best venue possible. The reason they might do that, that the official reason they might do that, apart from the you know the, their desire to grow the game in the, the northern rugby states, is the, the border restrictions. Queensland, I don't know what deal they've done with... Uh, Anastasia Palaszczuk, and I really only just wanted to get her name in there to show that I could pronounce really, it. Really, really nicely done, by the <laughs> way, because I read that nearly daily, and I just I just gloss over it. Nicely done. <laughs> um, I don't know what deal they've done with uh, Anastasia, but it seems to be pretty favourable for at least the AFL. I don't know what Queensland restrictions are at the moment anyway, but they can basically get players in and out of there um, as they like. So you know, the Victorian clubs that are based in Queensland they can fly down to South Australia and play those teams and come back in without any uh, any questions. For the moment, I think they can fly into New South Wales and play those teams. That might change. Uh, and they can fly over to WA and they've got no issues um, getting back into Queensland, but um, they've got issues over here, which is my main point, that um, at the moment, and McGowan's been pretty strong on this, so I don't think it's likely to change, but they, you know, the teams coming over here are subject to restrictions. They've got to lock down for 14 days. Um, they can only play each other. So unless that changes within, you know, before October, um, when they'd be looking at planning the finals, it would be difficult to schedule finals here because you'd have to have, you know, the finals 14 days apart or, you know, you'd have to put maybe a bye week in before the grand final with teams hubbing here. It wouldn't be ideal. So take out, you know, the advantages of Optus Stadium and, you know, 
I've never been to the Gabba, but I think Optus, it's safe to say, is a much better ground, um, particularly for footy than the Gabba. But just the logistics of getting teams, you know, at a week's notice because you don't know who's going to win the prelims into the state to play the finals, it's going to be much more difficult for Western Australia than it is for Queensland. Uh, under the current restrictions, and we all know that you know, everything can change at a moment's notice, so um, who knows what they'll be like in October. But that's that's the main issue, as I see it, apart from, a, you know, Victorians don't want to give it to WA because they hate us and, and so on. I, I think really there's a logistical issue with having it here as much as I'd love to, to see a grand final at Optus. That's going to be the main sticking point. Now, before we wrap up on these changes in the AFL's fixturing, in the changes in operations, we've got a question from Big Footy. It's from 06 Premiers, uh, and they ask, with 11 games in nine weeks, one of the possibilities touted today, and there's also a real chance of the Eagles not leaving WA for the season. Let's presume the season plays out uninterrupted from here and the Eagles stay at home for the rest of the year. Do we go hard and play a full best 22 every week? Or sort of at what stage in the year do you start to go into a management, sort of you know, looking at some of your older players, perhaps your Nat Nui's and your Kennedy's? When do you start managing them if we're going to have to roll out 22 players every four days, for example, to try and fit in 11 games in this nine-week period? For me, I think it's a little bit horses for courses and it'll depend uh, sort of on the, the fitness of those guys and the short turnarounds uh, and so we have to make a decision you know, game by game rather than say, you know, say at this point, well, you know, Kennedy's only going to play you know, seven of the remaining 11 games or, or something. It'll just be a, um, sort of a week by week proposition that, you know, go, well, we've got you know, we've got three games in the next ten games, and Kennedy's not going to be able to play all of those, so we'll rest him for the middle game. It'll be more like that, I think. Um, it is something certainly that we we'll have to be mindful of with um, with some of our older players, but we've got a fairly deep squad at the moment. I think we've used thirty players. We've got guys like um, Bailey Williams uh, who hasn't appeared yet. Throw some guys like O'Neill in there. Um, Anthony Treacy could even come up and play a game. So yeah, there's um, we might have to go a little bit deep into our um, into our squad, but I think we we should be trying to put as far as we can the best twenty two out um, on the field every game. That I was going to say every week, but it won't be every week. Every game that we can, we put the best twenty two out, but with an eye to not playing guys if it's going to have a long term effect on it. Uh, and you and I are both NBA fans, and you see that in the NBA a bit that you know teams will rest or manage their some of their star players or their older players with an eye on the grander prize. So yeah, it's a bit of a sort of hybrid approach, I think, for that. Yeah, the other thing is, look, obviously, it has been nice that we've managed to get back to three and three, and now we're hopefully entering a very, very long stretch of games in WA. But you can't mess around with anything. Three and three is still. Fairly disappointing. If you had have offered it to us coming into the hub, I think most people would not have taken a three and three. They would have rather no three and three with a percentage of ninety two as well. Correct, not great. Correct. So certainly in the early portion of any sort of condensed fixture, we can't afford to stuff around with it. If you're getting into the later stages of the fixture, I think that's sort of a similar equation that you get in a regular season. You know, do you manage guys on the last couple of weeks of the year? We saw in 2018 the the Eagles let Josh Kennedy have a bit of a mini preseason of sorts to build up to finals rather than you know going really hard playing him in the last couple of rounds of the regular season. So I think you've got to be careful of getting ahead of yourself because anybody can still beat anybody on any given day. And, and perhaps we've turned a corner, but at the same time, perhaps we have just been playing some poor teams. So certainly for the foreseeable future, I think best 22 all the way. 
talk to me when there's three games left in the final week of the season and we're, you know, sitting second or, or something like that. But for now, yeah, full steam ahead. Moving on to the main event of the week. It is a massive, massive game to find out where the Eagles sit. It's also a massive game in the WA football landscape. It is Derby 51, Sunday, 4.35pm. The Eagles play Fremantle in front of a not-quite-sold-out Optus Stadium, but still a bigger crowd than these clubs will be used to based off their last month in a hub. So Derby 51 is on the horizon. The Eagles are trying for a record-setting 10th consecutive Derby victory. They're really trying to confirm, I suppose, that they've turned the season around. Everything's back on track. Fremantle, meanwhile, they've won two games. They beat the Crows a few weeks ago, and then they last week had a great comeback, Miguel, that you touched on earlier against the Saints. So it is a massive game for the season. It's a huge day for WA, both as a footy community and in general just as a community to say, hey, we're back, we're open for business, things are sort of getting back a little bit to normal. So Miguel, before we dive into the game analysis and line by line, figure out who we're trying to stop, we need to name the side. So for yourself, you can lead us off. Who are your ins and outs as we head into this Round 7 derby? Uh, well, the big question is um, Shuey, whether we play Shuey, uh, whether he's over his hamstring. I am, without having any access to his medical records, any access that I can talk about at least, <laughs> uh, Just I, I have a, a general concern with, well, a specific concern over Shuey, whether he's right to go, and just a general concern about the number of soft tissue and particularly hammy injuries that we're seeing at the moment. Um, we've now had three in the last two weeks with the news that Petrocelli did what sounds like a fairly serious hammy late in the scrimmage match. And yeah, that's a bit of news as well, where there was actually a scrimmage match before we left the hub um, against Brisbane. Uh, yeah, Petrocelli, so he's out for... Um, five to six weeks, which um, if it's a condensed season will mean the vast majority of the season. Um, add that to Shuey's hammy and Jones's hammy from the week before and it's a little bit of a concerning trend, which I think is entirely tied to the, the stop-start nature of this season and the, the mini pre-season that the guys had to do before kicking back off in round two. Um, so I think just generally the club needs to be super conservative with these injuries because we don't want to see him get worse. And so I think that means that Shuey doesn't play this week. Even if he does pass his fitness test, just don't risk him. That's my view anyway. So that means probably Ainsworth, well, means almost certainly Ainsworth survives. The only change that I would be considering making is a structural one, and it's one that we want to see Williams debut. We have wanted to see Williams debut probably since about midway through last year. Uh, and this might be the time for it um, that you know, Fremantle, if Darcy plays, uh, there's a question mark over him with concussion at the moment, um, but if Darcy plays uh, and they're going in with him and Lobb as the rucks, I don't think Allen is going to be able to compete against those guys. Um, we saw in Queensland that he really struggled with the, the bigger ruck pairs like um, uh, Smith and McInerney at Brisbane and, and um, then they dropped him for Port. So yeah, he's just you know, physically, he's about six foot five. Um, he's quite athletic, but um, in his third season, he's just not able to physically compete with those big ruckmen. So I'd be bringing Williams in. Um, I wouldn't drop Allen. I'd probably drop uh, Jake Waterman, as unfair as I think that is to him. And it's probably something that he'll be used to because he's been unfairly dropped quite a bit during his career to date. But uh, I think he's the man to go out at this stage because we just can't play, uh, even though the forecast is for dry weather. I don't think we can play all of those tall forwards. So he goes out, Allen stays in, sort of plays the role that Waterman played. Uh, and Bailey Williams comes in to back up Nick Nat, so that would be an exciting um, opportunity for him if he comes in. But yeah, that's the only 
only change I'd look at making and I wouldn't bring Shuey in, give him a week off and uh, let him loose against Collingwood. Yeah, that's a very valid point. For myself, I've got Shuey in for Ainsworth, which is a bit of an obvious change, I suppose, but that is depending on Shuey's availability. We saw Nat Fife come back from a hamstring a few weeks ago. He came back to play St Kilda, but now there's talk that perhaps... Uh, you know, he's got a bit of a cork somewhere or he's carrying his weight differently and he doesn't know for sure that he'll get up for the derby. I expect he will, but that's more to the, the point of that was more to say that rushing players back, you know, it doesn't seem to be the correct course of action, especially not in an interrupted season like this where the preseason wasn't quite right and players came back in a little bit of an awkward, bit of an unusual way. So for myself, yeah, I've got, I've got Shuey for Ainsworth if available, but you'd really want to be sure that Shuey is good to go 100%. If not... Unchanged. We, of course, still have Lewis Jetta to come in at some point. But like I touched on earlier, I've been loving what the back line's offered in the last few weeks. Jetta does give us a lot. I'm a big fan of his, obviously. But I don't think you can mess up a winning formula when it's playing like this. And we've seen quite a big switch in that back line. So for myself, Chewy for Ainsworth or otherwise unchanged. Now, we'll have a look at Frio here. We are seeing a very different Fremantle team than we've seen in the past. I mentioned that the Eagles have won nine derbies in a row. They're looking for their 10th. We've seen that against a very physical, very contested, clog the ball, low scoring, grinded out Ross Lyon Fremantle side. Miguel, gone are those days because the Frio team this year, they're moving the ball quite well. They're playing a bit of a, a rebounding kick mark sort of style. They're, you see they're 15th in the league in uh, handballing and they're 17th in tackles. Now, you show those numbers to Ross Lyon. He's about to have an aneurysm, I'd expect, because this is a team that marks the ball the second most of anybody in the competition. They're slowing things down. They're playing deliberate. They're trusting their foot skills. What the hell happened to Fremantle? Yeah, Justin Longmuir, I think, has got a big say in that. He obviously he did a um, fairly long apprenticeship under um, Simpson, um, then went over to Buckley to work with Buckley at Collingwood, who they play a little bit of a similar style as well. Um, so he's obviously brought that to Fremantle, and it's um, yeah, it's a marked change from the Ross Lyon game plan, as you said, and um, they've done quite well to implement it so quickly. You know, normally that sort of drastic change would take a little bit of time to um, to come about. So that's a uh, that's a little boon for him. But they they do look good. Um, they looked really exciting for the final three quarters against um, St Kilda. So yeah, they're a dangerous side, and I'm surprised by those. What you say? They're seventeenth in tackles because their pressure, when they they turn the pressure up, it is pretty impressive as well. So um, yeah, that's certainly something that I think we'll have to match them in. Uh, just that you know, the pressure around the ball and also the forward pressure. Once we get it inside forward fifty to uh, you know to if we don't score to keep it in there and and get some repeat entries and and not allow them to um, get it out and slow the game down and control the the, uh, the tempo. And that's where someone like um, Jared Cameron, who had a bit of a quiet game in his, his first game of the year. But, yeah, that's really what he brings, and, and so he'll be really important there. Now, we've been discussing whether or not to put too much stock into the Eagles last couple of weeks based on their opponents. It must be said for Fremantle, they did play the same Adelaide side we did in what was one of the worst games of football I've ever seen in my life. And to be honest, Adelaide were actually on top for large stretches of that. They started the game kicking one goal eight. They really failed to make any sort of scoreboard impression for their dominance on the field. But with that said, Fremantle did pull out the win. They, of course, pulled out a massive win against St Kilda. They've got Fife sitting there. They've got our mate Angus Brayshaw, of course, a pivotal figure of a couple of recent derbies. 
I should say Andrew Brayshaw, shouldn't I? That's his I name. I was going to say, hang on, which one was it? It was Andrew Brayshaw. <laughs> it's very, it's very easy to get the uh, the Brayshaws and the Ainsworths all confused. There's I think way too many of them. Somebody, please remove three. P.S. I am not a crackpot. Anyway, Andrew Brayshaw. <laughs> Has been playing very well over the last couple of weeks as well. Uh, Fife in the middle. Walters is always dangerous and also very, very frustrating. Despite that, they rank 17th in clearances, but there are some guys there that can give our mids some trouble. And as you touched on, if Sean Darcy can get up as well, a pretty interesting ruck battle to develop between him and Nat Nui and perhaps he and Allen as well. Well, I suppose the uh, the big question is whether Fife plays. Uh, if he does play, whether he goes into the midfield. It's sounding like he's very iffy. And if he does play, he will probably station himself a bit up forward, maybe with a few hits in the midfield, but... Um, they've also got they've got Walters, who you know, has traditionally been more of a forward, but he's played a fair bit in the midfield. And if Fife's missing, he'll be pulling some uh, some shifts there. So that's our uh, that's our main concern. Um, there's David Mundy as well, who is a little bit Benjamin Button like. He just it doesn't seem to age. That's not Benjamin Button. That's Peter Pan. Wrong guy. <laughs> We're off to an absolute flyer. This this is the derby analysis that you need, folks. Right here. Yeah, just getting into the Carlton mids for the Carlton mid derby. No, it's not even that anymore. It's the Jesus, RAC derby. Jesus, it's the RAC derby. This is, wow, eh? This is really... Yeah, it's gone off the rails. Bloody hell. Um, yeah, so the, the midfield battle will be important. If Fife's not in there, then big question, I think, for me, is is what we do with Walters when he goes in there. Uh, do we maybe get Redden to tag him, push someone else to that outside running role that Redden's been doing? As I keep saying, I prefer Redden on the, um, on the inside, but He's been actually doing quite well on the outside and making a real fist of that role and probably had his best game for us on the weekend. So don't know whether you'd want to change that. Um, no, do you get Yo to go head-to-head with um, with Walters as if he was Fife in there? That's another way we could go. But, yeah, it's uh, the game, I think, is really going to come down to that midfield battle. Have Frio been playing a tagger? I'm not sure. Bailey Banfield hasn't been playing much and, and not in the midfields, but I don't know whether they'll send someone to try and do a job on Kelly after his best of field effort or if you know, they might send them to, to Gaff because uh, that's one thing we didn't touch on, that Adelaide were able to tag Gaff and, and keep him quiet, but he was able to contribute in other ways, as the commentators were saying on the weekend, by sort of you know, helping to create a bit of space for the, the guys that weren't getting tagged. Uh, so yeah, that's going to be um, just that midfield battle is going to be really important. And you know, Nat Nui, uh, if Darcy plays, will have his work cut out for him trying to jump over Darcy, who's a very big lad, uh, and Lob as well to to get the hitouts. But Darcy doesn't add a huge amount around the ground, so he's a little bit like Nick Nat in that regard. That well, different from Nick Nat though. That you know, Nick Nat once the ball is on the ground, if it's in his area, he will go full tilt at it. Whereas you know, Darcy once the ball has left the, the circle, that's sort of it for him. So um, that's sort of an advantage that we could get there if he plays. Now, this is the brilliance of podcasting, Miguel, because this is breaking news. This is as live as it gets. But, of course, by the time people listen to this, it will be well-established news. So hold on to your hat for this one. Fremantle this is coach like clips of um, you know, people reacting to things. People will be able to get our reaction to this breaking news. Here you go. You ready? Get your, get your best reacting voice on because... Fremantle coach Justin Longmuir tells 3AW he is, quote, not overly confident with Nat Fife playing in the derby. So he's had another scan today on the hamstring. That one's from Mitch Cleary on Twitter. This is breaking news here. It might help us out a great deal. Of course, we saw Fife miss the last derby, which Fremantle infamously recorded two goals in 19. We absolutely smacked them. Jared Cameron, who you touched on earlier, had a great day out that day as well. So... 
Perhaps no Fife. That is a massive, massive swing for the game. They still do have some options. Uh, they've got Aish, who's been playing a really nice season in that link-up role, using his foot skills decently well as well. Off the back line, Miguel, we talked about our forwards perhaps starting to figure it out. Fremantle are without Alex Pierce as they have been for a long stretch. They're out, uh, without Griffin Logue, who has given Kennedy a little bit of trouble in recent history as well. So perhaps if we can get on top in the midfield, this could be an opportunity to really feed our forwards and get them firing. Yeah, um, Joel Hamling they're missing as well. And I think they went in um, to that St Kilda game with no one over about six foot four in the back line. Um, so whoever played on Max King, who's six foot seven, did a really good job of you know, punching above their weight. But yeah, if they don't get any of those guys back, Brennan Cox, I think, is a chance to come in this week. But yeah, if we do play that tall forward line, even if we don't play all of Nat Nui, Williams, Kennedy, Darling, Allen, War, um, Waterman, one of those will have to miss out. But um, if we do go big in the uh, in the forward line uh, on a dry day, that could be a, an opportunity to to really stretch uh, stretch them. We've seen that Land of the Giants ploy being used in the past with, uh, let's say, mixed results. But, yeah, this could um, be a real opportunity to yeah, take advantage of um, Frio being pretty shorthanded back there. No pun intended. Nicely done. Now, I can't miss an opportunity to absolutely lay the boots into the Fremantle medical team because I'm having a look here at their injury report. They have six players listed on it as TBA, and across the other 17 clubs in the comp, there's 12 TBAs. So this is not a medical team that's really giving us a lot to work with. Fremantle fans as well will not be happy with them. Of course, they've had some pretty notorious mismanagement of a couple of injuries with you know Harley Bennell's repeat issues. Uh, Jesse Hogan last year re-injured his foot and everybody said, hey, is it the same foot injury as before? And they went, nah, nah, it's something else. And then a week later, it turns out it was and they tried to get him to play through it and train through it. So look, not a 10 out of 10 medical team. I'm having a look at the outs here. There's some big names both in terms of star power and in terms of stature. Darcy is TBA with the concussion. Brennan Cox, who you mentioned, test with the hip. He might come in and try and shut down Kennedy. That's a matchup that I actually really like for the Eagles. Hamling's TBA. They've got Jesse Hogan out with the calf. Logue I touched on. Pierce I touched on. Sam Sturt, really exciting at the front end of the year, but he's out. Uh, Hayden Young as well, also TBA with the ankle. They're missing a lot of players. That's before you throw in Fife out of there. This really needs to be, Miguel, I guess now I've kind of swung on this Fife news from this could be a bit of a back-and-forth sort of boxing match, really cagey affair. Now I'm swinging the other way and thinking, okay, the Eagles have no excuse to not come out and really impose themselves in this one. Yeah, absolutely. As much as the Fife news is good for us, I think the Darcy selection is going to really, that's going to have a really big influence on, on how we structure up, whether we do go with Allen in the ruck or whether we we pick a, a second genuine ruckman. And, you know, I've floated Williams, but I don't know that they'll go back to, to the Nat Nui Hickey accommodation because that hasn't really worked, but you know, maybe they go for the devil they know. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I think the uh, the Darcy selection is going to be a big one for us. But, yeah, them missing five potentially sounds like it. You don't know how much um, sort of smoke and mirrors and, and ducks and drakes is going on uh, in a derby week, you know, particularly with Longmuir, who's ex-Eagles and also ex-Dockers. You know, he might be playing a little bit of games and having some fun with uh, with his old boss. But, yeah, those uh, those are some big outs for them overall. And, um, yeah, they're, they're now down to possibly their, their fourth choice to play on to play as the number one defender on the number one forward. So yeah, there's really no excuses for us going into this game. Now, with that said, the Eagles have won two in a row. 
The Dockers have won two in a row. There's a little bit of history at stake, but there's going to be a raucous Fremantle crowd, of course, with the 30,000 sellout there, predominantly going towards Dockers fans. So in no way will it be a walkover or an easy matchup. The derbies are always tense, always physical, and always one to watch. So Miguel, give us your prediction. What can we expect on Sunday? Uh, well, I think I was a point off last week, uh, as well as saying Kelly would be best on. So um, blow my own trumpet a bit. And... Just bring it up for a second time, why don't you? Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't get it right very often, so I have to take advantage when I am. Yeah, look, this week I'll pick us to win by 20, I'll say. Um, I don't think it'll be a high-scoring game, but I think our defence will be able to to stop Frio from scoring and hold them to, you know, say, about six goals, and, and then so we can win with about nine of our own. Um, so, yeah, us by 20 points, and uh, seeing as the, the back line is going to be most important for us, um, I'll pick Tom Barris to be best on ground. He's taken mark of the week the last two weeks running. I don't know if he actually won mark of the week this week, but I'll just say he has. Uh, and, yeah, I'll pick him to uh, marshal the defence and shut down some some of his uh, some of his finishing lets him down a bit like um, a couple of our guys. But, yeah, Tabena, Barass will go to him. So, yeah, I'll uh, say Barass will shut him down and be best on ground. It does all pivot on that Darcy selection to a degree as well because if they've got Lobb and Tabena up front, if McCarthy is ready to come in or, or whether they pick him or not, you know, it swings their forward line massively if, if Lobb is a Ruckman or a key forward. So, yep, good pick. TB has played nicely in the last few weeks. I'm very bullish on the back line the last couple of weeks as well. So I like the pick there, Miguel. For myself, I've got the Eagles winning by 28 points and Josh Kennedy for best afield. I've really loved his play in the last few weeks. His finishing has left a lot to be desired, but back on home turf, it's a familiar set of goals that he'll be kicking at. He doesn't mind a derby and I am thoroughly thoroughly uninspired by that Cox versus Kennedy matchup, which is what I presume it will be. So you might be looking at, for example, maybe a Ryan trying to slow down Darling and Cox on Kennedy. I just don't love either of those matchups from a Fremantle perspective. They are battling for height down there, as you've touched on. So give me the Eagles by 28 and give me Josh Kennedy for the Glendening Allen medal. That's an interesting pick because um, I did mean to say, and I didn't say um, during the selection that, and it tails a little bit as well into the discussion about resting players. Kennedy might be a candidate to be managed this week if we do want to squeeze Williams in and, you know, we don't want to drop Allen or Waterman and the uh, sort of youthful energy that they bring to the forward line. It might have been a good week to rest uh, slash manage Kennedy and um, you know, squeeze those other young guys in. But that would be a huge call. Um, first game back in Perth. It's Kennedy's 250th AFL game, uh, including the ones he played for Carlton. So big, big opportunity for him, um, a big moment for him. And uh, it's a derby, which is also you know, always a big game. So probably won't happen. But yeah, if he does, if he has the massive game that you're saying, then be tough to drop him slash manage him uh, going on for a few weeks. Well, that will do it from us for the week. It's another big one coming up for the Eagles. Miguel, thanks very much for coming on the pod and sharing your insights. Yep, no worries. And I look forward to uh, watching the Derby at a pub somewhere because I've been locked out of the ground. But that's an issue we didn't get onto. Ah, well, bloody hell. Like I said, I keep hanging my hat on this. But the last time the Eagles played in front of a Freo crowd, things went quite nicely. Uh, and I will take a repeat performance of that effort from last year as well. Eagles, 10 in a row for the Derby, if you do not mind. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks very much to those who sent in questions, who sent in their three-word reviews. As always, you can get in contact with us on Big Footy. You can get in contact with us on Twitter, at WCEBFpod. 
iTunes, Spotify, subscriptions, ratings, reviews, any of that. It all helps. We really appreciate it. And we've had some good feedback through Twitter this week as well uh, throughout that Nick Nat Riley O'Brien saga. A couple of good memes flying and, uh, yeah, just generally positive vibes, good energy on the Twitter. So jump on there and get involved in the conversation. Other than that, we will talk to you this time next week on the heels of a historic derby win for the Eagles. We're going to preview a grand final rematch of sorts against Collingwood and we will look ahead to a very long stint of WA football in the future. Thanks very much, guys. We'll talk to you next week. Bye now. Bye. Oh, I didn't didn't get on to the the conclusion of the Lewis Jetta conspiracy. Oh, is this? He's it. Well, he's in the training picks now back in Perth. So now I reckon he's just he came back early, Ooh. and they didn't tell anyone. That is that is very suspect. I can tack that on as a little. I'll, I'll do a little after the siren. You know, <laughs> like after the end, I'll do a little and then cut into you giving us the rundown. People need to know. People need the thrilling conclusion of the Lewis Jetta saga. It's still just it's still just my theory, but yeah, having like he didn't appear in any of the training photos for two weeks in Queensland and you know, the first picks they put up back in WA and he's there front and centre. Yeah, I reckon he's just come back early. This is like when uh, Maud Flanders goes away to Bible camp or whatever and just as the cops, which is you, <laughs> just as you get on their case, yeah. that's conveniently when she shows back up and there's a reasonable explanation. Oh, everything's all wrapped up in a nice, neat little package, isn't it? <laughs> I'm, so- what? Yes. I'm sorry if it sounded sarcastic. <laughs> Good solve. Good solve, Detective Miguel.